Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Have you ever tried to do something really hard to change yourself? Have you ever done something really hard to change yourself? You know, you've probably all tried to change a habit at some point in your life, right? Have you ever tried to change a habit? Like many of us, maybe you were, you were one of them. How many of you had an elementary school teacher try to teach you about habits and said, for the next week, I want you to try to brush your teeth with the opposite hand? Anybody? Pete, do you do that to people? You have your kids try to brush with the opposite hand? Okay, see? So we're teaching... We're teaching, you know, trying to teach people about changing habits, right? If you're a right-hand brusher, try to brush with your left hand. And it's hard, isn't it? But you can get it, those of you who have accomplished that and, and see value in that task. Or, or how about this? Like, thinking about, like, becoming someone, if you're not someone who routinely exercises, I mean, clearly I am not, um, <laughs> although I'm hoping to change that, so this is actually for me. Um, but if you're someone who doesn't routinely exercise, and you want to begin a habit, you want to change the habit to become someone who routinely exercises. And you probably have all had this, this thing happen, right? Where you're like, I'm going to start tomorrow, right? You got to start tomorrow, people. I'm going to start tomorrow. So you show up on Monday with all the gusto in the world, and you're faithful, and you're there. And you get on the treadmill, and you're like, I don't really know how this thing works, but it's moving, so that counts. And, and then Tuesday, you show up, and you're like, I'm here. I didn't want to be here, but I'm here. Wednesday, there's a struggle, right? There's the struggle. Thursday, you start going, well, maybe I can. I mean, I'm, I was hoping to do five days, but four is good. And by Friday, the habit's gone, right? Anybody with me? And it's a challenge, right, to, to, to do this. Take any of them, trying to eat better, right? We all start out great, but changing our lives and changing habits is really, really hard, is it not? It's why, I don't know if you guys, I love stand-up comedy. You can judge me if you want, but I really love stand-up comedy. And stand-up comedy between December and about February is all punchlines about New Year's resolutions, right? It's a joke that people believe they can start their year off and change themselves, right? Because we all know by January 31st, the resolution is gone. This changing your life and changing your habits is really, really hard. I believe it's one of the reasons that we struggle as we become disciples of Jesus. I believe we all kind of know that life change is hard, and every one of us knows that being a disciple of Jesus is supposed to mean that we look more and more like Jesus, right? If you didn't know that, that's a free one. Being a follower of Jesus is supposed to make you look more and more like Jesus. We know that to be true, and yet we look at that and we go, I know how hard life changes, right? And so we, we struggle, and then we look at something like this command of Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself. And we mentally do the trick. It's like, well, the guy next door, there's no way. The lady across the street's crazy, right? And we do the little thing, and we go around our house, and we're like, I don't even like any of these people. How am I going to love my neighbor as myself, Right? We see these sort of commands of Jesus that we're supposed to become and look more and more like Jesus. And we become more hopeless because we're like, I don't think I can do that. 
I'm supposed to forgive my enemies, but they really hurt me. How am I supposed to do that? And we start thinking about all the New Year's resolutions that didn't work, all the times that we've tried to go to the gym. I still have a gym membership. I promise I'm going to start tomorrow. All the times we've tried to brush our teeth with our wrong hand, and we begin to think that life change is hopeless. And it's really, really, really hard to worship God more and more deeply when we don't believe life change is possible. Right? Have we struggled through that before? Have we wrestled with that? Like, I know I'm supposed to become more like Jesus, but I don't know how. We've been in this series for Lent that we've called Exchange, and what we've said is that uh, in relationship to, with Jesus, exchange becomes possible, right? You hear about all this. His righteousness for my unrighteousness. There's an exchange. His faithfulness for my faithlessness. There's exchange. His joy for my mourning. There's exchange, right? We, we see this over and over, and through Jesus exchange with God becomes possible. And so we've been looking at Isaiah chapter 61, which as we said at the very beginning, represents this sort of prophetic picture. Isaiah 700 years before Jesus says, this is what it's going to look like. There's going to be a suffering servant who's going to take on the penalty of the, all the, the sin of my people, and he's going to take it on. And when his work is done, this is the picture there will be joy for mourning, right? We talked about that. And what we said in the first week is that this suffering servant that Isaiah prophesies about is Jesus. That Jesus is the one that, that Isaiah was looking forward to. And so as we look through chapter 61, we're looking at a picture of what life is like when Jesus finishes his work. And so today what we're going to look at is the end of Isaiah 61. And I want to look at it with an eye to answer this question. How do we become people who are actually righteous like Jesus? How do we become the kind of people who are righteous like Jesus? What I want you to understand today is that righteousness comes from cooperating with God's sovereignty. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. I'm calling today's message, Make Me Like Jesus. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to turn to God's word. So, Lord, I do just welcome you into this place. And, Lord, we do acknowledge that we need you desperately. Would you come and have your way in this place? Would you touch us, God? Lord, I pray that you would grant gifts of faith in the face of hopelessness. God, would you put power on this message? Would you put your words in my mouth? Fill me now with your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at uh, Isaiah 61. Surprise, right? Who's surprised? Isaiah 61. And we're going to look at the last two verses. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 10. And here's what we read. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise 
spring up before all nations. There's something that you, I want you to notice that you'll miss if you just read those two verses. There's something I want you to notice, and, and that's this. In the, all the verses leading up to, to verse 10, verses 1 through 9, Isaiah is giving voice to Jesus, right? The suffering servant, he's giving voice to Jesus. And so verses 1 through 9 are spoken on behalf of the suffering servant. And then verse 10, the perspective changes. And it's something you would miss if you just read these two verses. The perspective changes. And I'll, let me read it. some of the leading up. It says, for, uh, beginning in verse 8, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are people uh, they are a people the Lord has blessed. All this is on be, is Jesus. And then it turns, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. And there's a, there's a change. And the way that this is working is that Isaiah has given all of this voice to what Jesus will say and do. And verses 10 and 11 come as a response. This is the response of God's people to what Jesus will do. This is the, the prophetic picture that's happening here. And so he's looking all the way through to what people who eventually follow Jesus respond. And what he says is this. Do you, are you guys with me with that? Like, it's weird, right? Like a prophetic picture. It's prophesying us in this weird space. And here's what uh, Isaiah says is the response of people who follow Jesus. Verse 10, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. That our response to the work of Jesus is delight and joy. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. And out of verses 10 and 11, that's all that it says that we do. That we delight in God and we rejoice. And then there's a for. There's a here's why. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. And arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up, and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. And as you see this, what should become evident is that there's this, these are all things that God has sovereignly done. If you read those, they're all things that God has done on his own volition. In fact, if you read 1 through 9, verses 1 through 9, all except for one verse is all stuff God has done. Every bit of it is stuff God has done. There's one verse where it says they will rebuild, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But it's all stuff God has done, and we're forced into this conversation about what is the sovereignty of God? What does it mean? What does the sovereignty of God mean? Before we dive into the rest of this, we have to have a conversation about what we think about the sovereignty of God. And I would imagine when we talk about that, there's a whole lot of ideas, right? Everybody has a different idea. And I'm not going to try to like challenge the different ideas because I don't want to make this cloudier than it has to be. But I want to sort of give you enough of a picture of what we mean by the sovereignty of God so that we can understand what's happening here. When we look at the sovereignty of God, when we talk about it, when the Bible talks about it, 
What it says is that God created the entire world. And so because of that, he has the ultimate authority to govern it. That God has the authority to govern how the world goes. And yet, the Bible also says we have a freedom to choose what we want to do. And it creates all kinds of battles, theological uh, twists and turns, because it's either got to be sovereignty or it's got to be free will. We either get to choose or we get no choice. And this is where we get twisted. Over and over and over, what we discover in Scripture is that just because God is sovereign, we're certainly capable of making choices that are not God's choice. You don't have to get very far into the Bible, Genesis 3, to discover that human beings are certainly capable of choosing things God wouldn't choose. Have we seen that? And if we, if we create this dichotomy of it's either the sovereignty of God or it's free will, we end up sort of having to go, well, then God, God designed them and made them to, to sin and all this and that. You have to make the Bible say things that it doesn't actually say. So what the Bible makes clear is that God is sovereign, and yet people have the will to choose. How do we make sense of that? How do we make sense of sovereignty of God and free will? How do we make sense of it's not either or, it's both and? You might say, well, how can this both be true? If we have freedom does, uh, to do things that God doesn't desire, doesn't that sort of mean that God's not sovereign? And of course, we start talking about the problem of pain and all the other things that people bring up, right? Or, or, or if, if, you know, if God is sovereign, then we must not actually have a choice. And we've wrestled with that probably in our lives at some point. And it creates a false dichotomy because when we say sovereignty and we make this the either or, we've replaced the definition of sovereignty with the definition of determinism. What we say is God has determined all things at all times. Those two things don't mean the same thing. Sovereign means that God has ultimate authority over everything that happens. Determinism means God has determined everything that will happen. Do you see there's a difference? Let me try to help you make some sense of this. Like, let's bring it out of the clouds, since I'm going to be coming out of the clouds. That's my favorite. If you don't know, I'm quitting my aviation job. Anyway some background that was necessary for that. Whew. All right. Um, if you think about sovereign countries, sovereign countries means that the country is independent. It has a government that sovereignly dictates how the country will work for some foreseen end, right? Like if you think about, I mean, I'm hesitant to use the United States because then that breaks the room in half. But like, if you think about a country like Sweden, anybody have any issues with Sweden? How can you have any, how can you have any issue with Sweden? They gave us Ikea, right? Huh? That's, yes. Okay, well, there's healing for you later. Sweden is an independent country that has a government that has been set up to create a certain kind of society, Right? And so they do that based on governing structures and laws, right? This is how it's supposed to work. Sovereignly, we will become this kind of people. Does that make sense? And yet, if you live in Sweden, you have a choice on whether or not you're going to follow the laws that go this way. Does that make sense? 
But it doesn't change the sovereignty of Sweden to become these kinds of people. You have a choice. Sweden is still sovereign. If you understand that, that's sort of what's happening when we think about God is sovereign and yet we have free will. God has ordained a direction. That there is, there's a way that God has created society to go to, to become a certain kind of people, right? We read about the kingdom of God coming, and it's a certain kind of way of living life. That's where we're going. God created it all. He's sovereign. He's taking us there. And yet, in every moment, you and I have a choice to make. Will we cooperate and go that way, or will we resist and go a different way? We have free will to make the choice. God is still sovereign. At the end of the day, this will be where we end up. The scripture is very clear. This is, the kingdom of God will come, and it will be a certain kind of society. And yet, in the meantime, we have choices to make. Everyone around you has choices to make that have very, very real impacts in the world. Any of you who have ever been abused know that people's choices have real impact. And it's, it's a disservice to people to say that God willed that abuse to happen. It's disservice to say, well, God is sovereign, so he must have wanted it to happen. What kind of a God is that? Does that make sense? God is sovereign, and yet you have free choices to make. Here's why it's important that you understand this. Let me give you three pictures. I believe that God has called this church to be a people this year who press deeper and deeper into intimate worship of God. This is something that we believe that we've discerned God is calling us to. It's a pretty safe assumption. Do you know that? Like if you read the Bible, it's like God is doing that all the time. Like God is always seeking people who will worship him deeply. So we could just say that. But I do believe there's a special invitation this year to, the, to, to this church to become deeper worshipers of God. And what I believe to be true is that he will sovereignly make that happen. That's, that's the direction we're going. It's, the, it's where God is taking us. And yet, in the meantime, every last one of us has a choice to make. Don't we? We can come and sit on our hands and complain about the songs and not sing and scowl at everybody who does, right? Or we can say, you know what? This is where God is taking us. I'm going to choose just to press in just a little bit further. I'm going to, I'm going to take a, a choice to, to get a little bit out of my comfort zone. I'm going to take my hands out of my pockets, and I'm going to open them to the Lord. We have a choice to make, don't we? We can cooperate and become the kind of people that God is calling us to be, or we can resist. We have free will, but at the end of the day, what I know to be true is God will make us people who more deeply and intimately worship him. The question really will be is, are you there or aren't you there? That's really the way that works. That's picture number one. Picture number two, I believe that God has called this church to be a, a, a church that impacts the, the, the rising generations, the kids, the youth. And we believe that we've discerned that God would have us give generously for the sake of kids and youth, right? That we would be people who, who are not tight-fisted and say, we do care about uh, the kids and youth, but we're not going to give any money to it. If we had $1,000, the best investment in, for the kingdom is to invest in kids and youth. We believe this is what God is doing. Again, this is not a stretch. Through the whole Bible, God has always been rising new generations 
into things that he's calling them to do. And if you read through scripture, a lot of times it's kids that are doing the things, right? So God is always doing this. It's not a stretch. But we believe that this is the imitation of the Lord. One of the things I know to be true is all the money belongs to God. Fair? Like, none of us have our own. It's all on loan from God. We just get to be stewards of it. And so what I know to be true is that God will fund kids and youth. I know this to be true. And yet you have free will. You get to make a choice. Will I participate or won't I? Fair? Third picture. So that you don't think it's just all about me in this church. All the way cover to cover, God cares deeply about widows, orphans, and immigrants. Cover to cover. God cares about these marginalized people. And we know it to be true because God is working to this sovereign end where widows, orphans, and immigrants will be taken care of. We know this to be true, right? So this, this, whether or not you choose to participate, God will take care of those people. And yet, every time you encounter a widow, every time you encounter an orphan, every time you encounter an immigrant, you have a choice to make. Will I participate with where God is taking this or will I resist? We all have free will and God is still sovereign. Does this make sense? Good. With that understanding, let's look at verse 10 again. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Isaiah says that God's people delight in the Lord and rejoice in God because of what he has done. And the picture that Isaiah paints is in verse 10 is that God has placed clothing on his people. God has sort of placed a, a clothing of salvation on his people. He's placed a robe of righteousness on his people. This is the picture that, that, God, uh, that uh, Isaiah is painting. And it's a description of what happens when you sense an invitation from Jesus into relationship. The picture is that we have been given something that's not ours. That's why the, in, the, in the, uh, like the latter half of the verse it says, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, puts on the stuff, right? As a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Those things don't grow naturally on these people. And yet these things get put on them and they're, not, they're foreign to them. They're outside of them. And the, the reason this is important is because this is the picture of what happens. When we come to Jesus, we're wandering about in the streets. We're, we've been out for, for weeks. We haven't had a shower in forever. Our clothes are a mess. We smell really, really bad. And we're freezing cold. And we've been wandering the streets doing our own thing for so long. And we stumble across a path in front of a house, and God opens the door and says, oh, look at you. Come in here. Let me clean you up. Let me give you some clothes. Let me put a coat on you. Come in here. Let me help you. And it's the invitation of the Lord to us into relationship. And he gives us clothes of salvation, and he gives us a robe of righteousness that are not ours. They're not ours, and we know it. And it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God to us to invite us into the house. Because Jesus gave his life for us, 
God makes declarations about our lives that are not yet true of our lives. Have any of you arrived all the way at righteousness yet? None of us have, right? So we walk in and God cleans us up and he gives us clothes of salvation. He says, you are saved. And I go, okay, great. What does that mean? right? And he says, hold on a minute, I'm going to put a robe on you. You are righteous. And God makes declarations of our lives that are not yet true of our circumstances. Do you see this? I mean, maybe that's where we are today. Maybe you've been wandering around lost and a mess. You're all a mess. You're cold. You've been doing your own thing. And what I need you to know is that because of God's sovereignty, you're not here by accident. That today for you maybe is the day that God has opened the door and he sees you and he's like, oh, come here. Come here. Let me clean you up. Let me give you new clothes. Let me give you a robe. We're going to get you cleaned up and set, set right. This is the invitation. And whenever the door opens, it's not an invitation to do something else. It's an invitation into relationship that God might make a declaration over your life that you desperately need. And if that's you, I want you to know you're not here by accident. God has sovereignly placed you in this space so that you can hear about this. That he invites you into a relationship where he will make declarations of your life that feel foreign but that you know you need. That's how we all find our relationship with God beginning, isn't it? Don't we all sort of come stumbling across in front of God's doorstep and he looks at us and he goes, oh, you're such a mess. Come here, let me help you. Let me clean you up. Let me fix the problems. Let me bandage the wounds. You see, God sovereignly placed us all. If we're a follower of Jesus, he placed us somewhere where we might hear the invitation into the house. That he might place clothes of salvation on us and a robe of righteousness on us. And we might sort of like feel like, oh, there's hope for me. But there's something we all discover when this happens. I wanna, I'm going to do an illustration. I need two people who are littler. It will become evident why you have to be littler here in just a minute. Anybody want to volunteer? I need two volunteers, littler people. Nobody. You want to vault? No? Smaller than me. One. Perfect. Perfect. I got one. Who else wants to volunteer? I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Sweet. Sweet. Hold on. Let me... Here, tell everybody your name. I'm Jen. I'm Brittany. Jen and Brittany are brave people. That, that, that's appropriate. That's appropriate. So here's what we're going to do with Jen and Brittany. Let's, let's have Jen. You want to okay. come right here, right here. What happens is that God says, Jen, come in here. I'm going to give you this robe. It's my trench coat, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to put this on, on you, right? 
Does it fit? No. Not at all. <laughs> right. Okay, that's good. That's good. And I'm going to give you this jacket, all right? So you get, sorry, it's a little bit, there you go. Does it fit? No. <laughs> they both look a little ridiculous, right? So she got clothes of salvation. She got a robe called righteousness. And both of them got something that wasn't theirs and that looks a little bit ridiculous. It doesn't fit, right? It doesn't fit. God gives both of them these things and makes these declarations that don't fit. And sort of, we have two choices at this moment, don't we? We have to go, well, this is not my coat. Let me take it off. We have to decide, well, this must not be for me. This must be wrong. I'm go- you know, I tried Christianity, and it just really didn't work. You know, I felt really good whenever they put the coat on me. I got warm, felt really nice. But man, my life underneath doesn't look like the declaration of salvation that has been made over my life. You know, and then it's like, it's like well, you know, this declaration of righteousness was great. I'm glad that God called me righteous. Yeah, it doesn't really fit. My life, I mean, I, Jen's one of the most righteous people I know, but <laughs> for the sake of the illustration, but my life doesn't look like the coat that I've been given. So we can choose to reject it, right? We can choose to say, well, no, I tried it. It doesn't really work for me. There's another choice that we can make, right? Which is this. Y'all can pretend like these coats fit, Right? You, you know, you go run track, right? And what would happen? You'd trip and fall, and you'd look a little bit ridiculous. And yet you just sort of get it up and you go, this is normal. Don't worry, this is normal. So, and I run around and I do my life looking like this is normal. And I'm pretending to be salvation. I'm pretending to be righteousness. And everybody around me knows it looks a little bit ridiculous that I'm putting it on. And yet I show up on Sunday and I, I put on the show, but the rest of everybody's like, you don't look like that but I'm trying to pretend. And when I get a little bit insecure, right? This jacket's huge. That says a lot. I get a little bit insecure and I just go, yeah, but she's not wearing the jacket right either. She's not very righteous either. See, she has this coat of righteousness and she's not living up to the coat. Don't look at me. Look at her. She's not doing it. Right? We're trying to pretend like we deserve to be in this coat and that it fits and it doesn't fit. But I don't want you to look at me. I want you to see that it doesn't fit them either. And we become modern-day Pharisees. Running around judging everyone else because their coat doesn't fit. Do you see this? There's good news in this. That this isn't the end of it. You guys can have a seat if you want. You can give me my coat back. Yes, everybody. I mean, keep it if you want. Thank you. <laughs> There's good news at the end of this, though. Thanks for volunteering, guys. You see, we know that the coat doesn't fit. They're too big. Metaphorically speaking, righteousness, the declaration of righteousness over your life and my life is too big. 
I don't deserve that. I still don't. I stand up here and preach most weeks. I still don't deserve that. I still am very aware that this declaration that God has made on my life is not, it's too big. It's too big. Salvation is too big. It doesn't fit. But the biblical ideal is different than those two choices that we get, right? We don't have to pretend. We don't have to run. Look at verse 11. It says, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Isaiah says that even though the declaration over your life of righteousness and salvation are too big, God desires you to grow up into the clothes that he's placed on you. That he puts this code on you, he says, I know it doesn't fit now, but it's going to fit. I know it feels big now, but I'm going to grow you to be the kind of person where the inside matches the coat that I put on the outside. I'm going to do this in you. And the significance of the shift is, is pretty stark. Do you notice right here in this verse, Isaiah shifts and he says, he shifts from clothes to gardening. There's a shift that happens. Did you see that? We were talking about clothes. And how long does it take for me to throw a coat on two ladies? Ten seconds, maybe? How long does it take for gardening to happen? You see, the shift in metaphor is important because the shift implies that there's a process. The shift implies that this is going to take time. Isaiah says, I will cause, that God is going to cause a root to grow in your life that will change you from the inside out. That the coat he's put on you on the outside, the declaration over your life that he's made, he's going to now fulfill by growing something new in your life. That the day will come where the inside matches the outside. That you'll grow up into the coat that he's put on you. You see, we can spend all of our lives trying to be moral and trying to earn the coat that we have and trying to pretend to everyone else that we deserve the coat that we have, but none of us deserve it. Every last one of us, it's too big. And yet God says, if you'll allow it, where I'm taking us, I'm going to grow up righteousness in you. I'm going to grow up salvation in you that you might more fully fill the coat that I've given you. Is that not good news? That you don't have to earn it. You don't have to make it work. Here's the thing. All you have to do is abandon your plan of improvement and say, God, I want your plan. I know where you're going. I know where you're taking all of this, this whole thing called life. And I want you to grow me up into the coat. Because I've tried to make it fit and it doesn't fit. Isn't that good news? You don't have to make it fit. Now, don't mishear me. If you're an alcoholic, you probably should take steps to keep yourself out of a bar. You probably shouldn't have alcohol at your house. That's just good boundaries. You know, if you're a porn addict, it's probably a good thing not to have devices in your secret spaces in your house. That's just good boundaries. But God invites you to transformation that's not trying to act better. It's actually becoming better. 
It's not white-knuckle gripping, hoping I can survive through this temptation that I'm facing. It actually naturally comes out of you, the kingdom things. Don't we want that instead? Because every last one of us has tried the New Year's resolution route. We've all tried to be better. Turns out it's not very easy. And if you could successfully do it, it would make you dependent on you and not on God. God's invitation to you is to allow him to grow you up into the coat that he's given you, that you might become someone who naturally desires the thing that God desires. Someone who walks with with an easy yoke, as Jesus says. Isaiah says, then the same way the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden makes the seed grow, God will make righteousness and praise spring up. God's going to build roots in you that can sustain the coat that he's given you if you'll let him. And the way you let him is you abandon all the hope that you thought you were going to be able to make this happen. And here's what that looks like. If you give your life to Jesus, what a lot of times happens is that coat's really big and people say, well, you got to stop swearing, you got to stop drinking, you got to stop doing, right? Stop doing all the things, right? All of those things are moral improvement programs. The way in is an invitation from God. He says, come in and let me clean you up and give you a coat and some clothes. The way on is that you respond to every invitation God gives you. And maybe today is the day that you, you know, it's like today is the day God is inviting me to like lay down cussing. Maybe today is the day that God is calling me to lay down smoking or whatever the case is. But I'm doing it in response to God. And whatever he's calling me to, he's going to empower me to do. It's a way easier way to life transformation. Because God has all the power that you need. He has all the power that I need to live into the coat that he's given. And here's the deal, and I'll finish with this thought. All of this only happens one way. Cooperating with God's sovereignty. At every turn... We get the choice as to whether we're going to cooperate with the sovereign God who's taking all of creation this way, or we're going to resist. What do you want to be? There's only one way that you become like Jesus. That's not by trying harder. It's by surrendering. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.